Well, hello, Bill. How are you? I'm doing good, Robert. It is September 11th. Today is a, a bit of a somber day for us as we reflect on the events that took place yeah. on September 11th, but it impacted our ministry here at Keswick personally. Yep, Don Peterson and his wife, Jean. Don was on our board of trustees, and they were heading to California for a family reunion and arrived at Newark Airport early, so they were bumped onto Flight 93. And we all know what happened that day in New York City, down in Washington, D.C., and on that field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Uh, the cool story that came out of that was that when the rescue workers arrived on the scene, the only two visible things were a tire and a Bible. And uh, when we found out about the Bible, we were hoping it belonged to Don Peterson, and it de indeed did. And tucked inside of his Bible was a list of the men of the Colony of Mercy mm. who he was going to be praying for on that trip. So 9-11 really became very personal for us. Uh, but we also want to shout out to our good friend yeah. Jennifer Sands today, uh, whose husband perished in the World Trade Center, and then our good friend Ivy Moreno whose husband also died in the World Trade Center. So it's kind of fitting that the music today is our trio singing through. through. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Dave Edwards was with us for, for Labor Day weekend. I almost said Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> but it was a great message on the life of Joseph. And he shares about day 40. So this is part one of a two-part message. We trust it will be a blessing. Let's give a listen to Dr. Dave Edwards as he shares the word. In the book of Isaiah, there's these verses that say, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. God never promised us that he would take us around the trials and difficulties of life. But what he did promise us is that he would take us through. And it was in the midst of a very difficult time when my granddaughter was battling at uh, two and a half heart issues that one of our board members, Judy Jolovich, sent us this CD and said, you know, I, I really think that this particular song would minister to you and your family. It was recorded by the Gaither Vocal Band. The words of this song, I trust, will minister to you. My guess is that somebody here tonight is in the midst of a difficult situation. You need to know that God will take you through. Without pain, there's no reason. 
testing no Try.
that. How about one more time for the music? What a powerful song. So, so good. Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much. Thank you, Bill. It's really good. I love that, that God takes us through. You can't always go around it. Usually the way through something is you've got to go ahead right through it. And God goes with us every step of the way. Would you take a minute and just pray with me? Would you, could we just pray tonight and say, God, thank you. Thank you for being in the fire and the flood. Thank you for being in the boat with us and the, when the waters rise. Thank you for being in the midst of the flames with us when it gets hot. Thank you for taking us through those things and only losing the things that we didn't need. That you burned the ropes off of us, the things that would hold us back, but we emerged out of the fire and out of the flood on the shore, on dry land and in safety. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you'd help us tonight to find you in a deeper way, in a more clear way, with greater clarity as to how you take us through the different seasons of our life and sustain us during that time and prepare us for what's ahead. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and I pray now you'd lift it up off the page and download it into our heads and hearts. And in your name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, nice. Also, I want to give a big shout out to the guys of the colony that are watching. I'm looking forward. I'll see them tomorrow morning. And, you know, I, I pray for you guys. Just let me just talk to the camera for a minute. I pray for you guys when I'm here. I pray for you when I think you as I'm traveling. And so all these sessions this week, I've always had you in mind. I just, I so believe in the sustaining power of God and the freeing power of his presence. And I think there's not one thing that God cannot bring us through that we, can't, we won't come out on the other side of it better than when we went in. And so I'm so grateful for that. Also, would you give a round of applause for the guys who graduated tonight and for their testimonies? So powerful. That's incredible stuff. And so tonight, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm gonna, I want to read a verse out of the New Testament with you, and then we're going to go, as we've been doing, back to the Old Testament to look at an illustration of this verse. And this is a ver this is verse that I'm going to read tonight comes out of Zechariah's prayer of dedication for John the Baptist. We're picking it up in, in mid-prayer, really. But when I found this verse, I feel like it applies to all of us. I, I want to read it to you because it especially goes with our theme in terms of holiness, right? We said we're not trying to earn holiness, it's given, right? God declares us to be holy, and then we spend the rest of our life living out what's already true of us, right? So look at verse 74, and this is Luke chapter 1 and verse 74, to grant us that we being rescued from the hands of our enemies. We're going to talk about that tonight. To grant us being rescued from the hands of our enemies that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. I think that should be a life verse for everybody here and everybody at the colony, that I will be rescued from my enemies and I will serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of my life. And so tonight I want to take us to an Old Testament picture of how God brings us through tough times out on the other side. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to flip open to Genesis chapter 40. All right, Genesis chapter 40, and you should be able to find Genesis, and if you can't, we'll have counseling afterwards. All right, so hopefully if you can't, you need some prayer. All right, anyway, if you're not sure, just go to the table of contents and go right. Okay, kids, that's how you find it. And so, uh, so tonight, to... to
talking to us about one word. I want to talk to us. To, to frame, I want to frame this whole thing. Frustrated while driving? Anybody? Frustrated? Yes, amen, right? Let me give you a working definition for frustration. Ready? Frustration is anytime our expectations and our realities collide. Anytime we expect one thing to happen and the exact opposite takes place, what you experience in the gap is called frustration. I have to say, one of my frustrations of driving here in this city are the weird U-turns, the shoulders or whatever you call that. We don't have that in the world where I live, kids. And uh, the going right in order to go left, uh, you know, in my dyslexic mind that throws me off, right? And so I've experienced a level of frustration because when I thought I was going to turn left, I was really supposed to go right in order to go left. And my expectation was I was going to go left when I really needed to go right. And what I experienced in that moment was called frustration. We're all going to experience frustration at different levels of our life. There's going to be seasons in which our expectations and our realities collide. I have to say, a great deal of my frustration has come from traveling. It just, uh, you know, I, I know it may sound glamorous, but flying commercial airlines is really an exercise in suffering, quite frankly. And it's just difficult to get anywhere. The, I mean, there, it's just difficult. And I, I was, uh, I think I was in Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee, and I was, I was supposed to, I was trying to make my flight, and I was just, if everything went well, I, I was just going to make it. So I, I, I get up to TSA, if you don't know, TSA stands for thousands standing around and uh because they don't do anything and so anyway and uh and i'm bitter about that and so i uh, I, I was writing a book at the time it was one of the books that i on the on the character of christ and and so i had a bag full of research books right so i put my bags on the x-ray they go through the x-ray of course you know they say we think we see something suspicious in your bag right my expectation was i was going to get through security and make my plane on time my reality was man the minutes are ticking away and i, I didn't look like i was going to make it right and so the guy you know takes the my bag off the belt takes it over to the you know the table unzips it and begins to i think as slowly as possible pull each book out of the bag right he pulls out bible number one bible number two chuck swindoll charles stanley i'm like you get anything off that at all right they unload this entire bag of books right they get to the bottom of my bag and i have a bunch of highlighters in my bag because i i color code my bible and they pull these pins out and they, this guy says to me we think these might be weapons I said, what do you think I'm going to do? Get on the plane and highlight everybody? They're markers. And now they're paging me over the intercom. But Dave Edwards, your flight, the door is about to close. I can hear my name being paged, right? And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good witness. I'm writing a book about Jesus. And, you know, I'm trying to be good. And, and you know, and he, so this guy picks my pins up and carries them to the x-ray machine like they're kryptonite, like this. Like he's holding them out like this. Right, walking along, holding my highlighters, and I, I couldn't resist it. I just said to him, you need to be careful. That one in the middle is a Sharpie. And uh, that is permanent ink, so look out for that. And they did not think that was nearly as funny as you did. And, all right, and so, but you can well see, right, my expectation was I was going to get somewhere on time. The reality was I met a, a barrier, an obstacle that threw my plans off. And what I experienced in the gap was called frustration. I, you know, I've, I've been on a lot of flights where I've had, you know, two or three in a day, and I flew uh, all day back to Houston, Texas, and uh, I, I, I go to get my bags, and of course, my bags aren't there, you know, because I flew Delta, 
you know, and if you don't know, Delta stands for don't expect the luggage to arrive. All right, so they put it right there in the name. That's what Delta means. Or it doesn't even land there anymore. All right, anyway, they're both accurate. And so, of course, you know, I, I get to the, you know, the carousel and my bags aren't there. And uh, so there's a, guy, there's a guy with a Delta tag on and the uniform and the whole thing standing by the carousel. So I walk up to him. I'm, I'm from here to the, to the pulpit, right? And I said, listen, I was on flight 1630, which is a fine flight number, although I was on a, once on a Delta flight that the flight number was 5050. <laughs> might make it, might not, don't know. And uh, so I say to this guy, Listen, I was on flight 1633, and my bags aren't here. And he looks at me and says to me, has that flight landed? I wanted to go, no, they're just circling the airport, pushing us out one at a time. I made it first. Right? I expectation I expected a reasonable rational sane answer reality I'm in some conversation I have no idea what is going on right right we're all going to feel frustration we're all going to have these moments when our expectations and our realities collide and some of those frustrations will be minor there'll be minor travel things things that happen throughout the day some of those frustrations will be major moments of frustration in which you expected life to go one way and in reality it took a hard left and it went the exact opposite direction and now what you face and feel and fight with every day is frustration and the goal in any season of frustration is to figure out then how we pass through that chapter and come out on the other side of it better than we went in that's the goal that's the challenge it's not just to white knuckle it through and hope for the best but it's to say I, 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 my expectations and my reality has gone into a head-to-head -head collision match with each other and I didn't plan on it I didn't think this was going to happen but since I'm here I'm going to figure out how to get through it and to emerge up on the other side of this frustration better than when I went in and this is what brings me to my text tonight because Joseph was a guy who knew a thing or two about living through frustration if you've ever had a moment where your expectations and your realities have collided in your life if you're living that way even in this season then you need to know this story joseph was a man who had been well acquainted with frustration he was number 11 out of 12 brothers and one day he goes shoots his mouth off and tells his brothers that he's they had a dream that they're all going to bow down before him and he's like hey i had a dream you guys are going to bow down before me of course all his brothers look at him and look at each other and look at him and go get a rope right and they drag him to the outskirts of town they beat the living daylights out of joseph they throw him into a cistern which is a little deeper and wider than just a pit and they leave him for dead expectation he had a dream that he thought everyone would be excited for reality nobody approved of it now he's been discarded and thrown to the side all the brothers go back and say say to the dad we don't know what happened we don't know where he is and they leave him for dead and while joseph is lying in that cistern this cart comes along and scoops him up and they take him to the local city and dump him in a dungeon with a bunch of slaves joseph now will spend the next 20 plus years of his life in a season of frustration and in the story of Joseph, there's a little phrase that appears, and it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. It appears right in the middle while he's in prison. And you know why I think that phrase is there? It's there to remind us that even in seasons of frustration, that God's with us. 
That even when life breaks down, God's in the midst of it. Even when our expectations, our realities collide, that God is in the midst of it. And while Joseph was in prison, he gets promoted to being head servant. Let's just pretend that that's a promotion, kids. All right? And so, right, they move him up, and now he's been entrusted with everything in this prison. He's like the head servant over all these prisoners. That little phrase appears again, and he gets promoted once again. And now, in Genesis 39, he's living in a guy's house whose name is Potiphar. Potiphar is super wealthy and highly connected, very influential. And now Joseph has landed a job in Potiphar's palace. And he thinks, I kind of got it made. I'm out of that pit. I'm out of the prison. I don't know if I ever get back home or if I'll see my dad, but at least I'll never have to spend another night in that cell. At least I'll never have to go back there. His expectation was on the rise. I'm out and I'm in a good place. I'm living in a decent place and I, I got a good job and these people trust me with a lot. Except for Potiphar was married to a high maintenance, low self-esteem psycho woman. And she makes a pass at him. This is a living Bible version, but close enough. She makes a pass at him, and he refuses her advance. He refuses the temptation. And out of her own frustration and her own anger, she has Joseph rearrested and thrown back into prison. His expectation was, I'm out. I'll never have to see another night in that prison. And now he's back in prison, and to heighten the drama, he's back there as an innocent man. He did the right thing. He maintained his integrity in the face of temptation, and he still ends up in prison. You can be a good person. You can make right choices and still end up in the midst of frustration. And now in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph is in the one place that he never thought he would be. Again, he's overqualified. He did the right thing, and now he's back in prison. And in Scripture, the number 40 is always a time of testing. The number 40 is always a time of probation. Every time I, I read this story and I talk about it, I always like to say that Joseph found himself in chapter 40. This might be the way you want to describe when you go through serious frustration. You might have to say, I'm in chapter 40. And we're, in our lifetime, we're all going to pass through our own chapter 40s. Some of us are going to pass through chapter 40s financially. Some of us are going to pass through chapter 40s emotionally. Some of us are going to pass through chapter 40s physically in terms of our own health and our own medical crisis. Some of us are going to pass through chapter 40 in terms of our marriage and our family. Uh, we got some students in the house that you're going to pass through your own chapter 40 in terms of friendships and, and self-esteem and growing and, and developing your adolescence. There's going to be times when your expectations and your reality collide and so the question I want to answer tonight is what do you do when you find yourself in chapter 40 how do you get through chapter 40 here we go ready so Joseph does three things so chapter 40 teaches us three things of what to do when you encounter seasons of frustration ready here we go number one is that we have to read the chapter correctly in other words, when your expectations, your realities collide, you've got to read it correctly. Now look, look how chapter 40 is described in chapter 40. Now watch this. Then it came about after these things that the cupbearer and the baker through the king of Egypt offended the Lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the baker. Now look at verse 3. So he put them, look how it describes chapter 40, in confinement. Do you see it? He put them in confinement. That's chapter 40. In fact, 
it's described that way two more times. Look at verse 4. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them while they were in confinement for some time. Restricted. You see it? It's described that way in verse 5. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail. You see it? Chapter 40 is a time of restriction. It's a time of confinement. It's a, it's a, it's a season when you feel like you're on lockdown. And this is true for all of us, right? We all know what it's like to be on lockdown, to go through quarantine. All of a sudden, you expected life to go this way, and it went this way, and now you find your life and your plans restricted, confined. Joseph was confined in chapter 40 with these other two dudes who were confined in chapter 40. And when people pass through chapter 40, the easiest thing to do is to assume that it's happening because God's punishing us. I hear this a lot. Well, I'm going through chapter 40 because I did something way back 10 years ago and I knew it was going to catch up with me. I, uh, this is happening because of what I did. I knew God was going to get even with me. People, that's their first go-to. That's their default as they go, this is happening because God is against me. I just want to say to everybody who's ever had that thought here tonight, when you go through chapter 40, it's not punishment. You know how we know that? Because the Bible says that God poured his wrath out on Jesus. That when Jesus hung on the cross, that all the wrath that God felt against sin, all the things that we had done against him was poured out on Jesus. He beat Jesus up in our place so he doesn't have to beat us up. So what you're passing through is not about punishment. God's not mad at you. What got Joseph in trouble early on was he shot his mouth off. He shot his mouth off to his brothers. They beat him up. His dad makes him a coat of many colors, and he wears it. you got to be a little cocky to kind of flaunt that in front of everybody. Look what I got, and you don't. Right? Joseph was a cocky, loudmouthed young dude. And God knew there was no way that Joseph could ascend to the most powerful throne in the land as a cocky, arrogant man. So he drops him into chapter 40 to sand off the rough edges. So imagine that for Joseph, here he is in chapter 40, and the throne is over there, right? Here he is with his dream, and the throne is over there. And to get to the throne, to get to what God had for him, he had to pass through chapter 40 to get it. And I want you to know, you've got to know how to read this. What you're going through is not punishment, it's preparation. Joseph was passing through a season of preparation in which all the arrogance and all the cockiness and all the rough edges were going to be sanded and shaped and knocked off of him. And anytime our expectations and our realities collide, it's God's way of letting you know that you're being prepared for something that's ahead. You're still here because God's not done with you. You're passing through chapter 40 because God's not finished with you. So you've got to read it correctly got to know what's happening when your expectations and your realities collide you got to know it's not punishment it's preparation not only that but number two the second thing we have to do is that we must refuse to compromise we must refuse to compromise so look this is where the drama heightens in the story now watch this right so it already says that uh so he put them in confinement with the cup the the cup the baker and the cup bearer and now these two guys have a dream right and they say, we, we both had a dream. And they say to Joseph, can you tell us what these dreams mean? And so they begin to unpack their dream and go, this is what I saw. And this is what I saw in my dream. And as Joseph hears it, he knows exactly what it means. 
He's been gifted to know how to interpret dreams, which is what's going to get him out of chapter 40, but he doesn't know that yet. Remember, he's deep into many, many, a few decades of frustration. By the time he gets to chapter 40, I'm not even sure he remembers the dream that he had. And now these two guys come to Joseph and they say, we had these dreams. Can you tell us what they mean? And he listens and he interprets it. But the tension for Joseph was for him, do I tell these guys exactly what the dreams mean? Because for one, he gets his job back and he gets to go see his family. For the other one, he does just say he doesn't get ahead in life because he gets hung at the end of the chapter. Not so good, right? And Joseph thinks, should I, should I just leave that part out so these guys think well of me? And that when they get out and they can stand in front of Pharaoh and they can put in a good word for me, Joseph sees these guys as his shortcut out of chapter 40. And so he splits the difference. He interprets the dream correctly, but look what he does. Look at this, ready? Look, look at verses 14, 15. Watch what he does. So he says to these two guys, after he's interpreted the dreams to them, look at this, he says, watch this. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do a favor, a kindness do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Right? Now look at, look at verse 15. For I was in fact kidnapped in the land of the Hebrews and even here, I've done nothing that should put me into this dungeon. You got to remember, he is a little brother. How many of you guys are currently living with a little brother? Anybody currently have a little brother in the house? Just by show of hands. How many people grew up with a little brother? Anybody grew up with a little brother? How many people had a little brother that deserved to be beat up? Anybody? Okay. That's what it was like to live with Joseph, Right? And once a little brother, always a little brother. When he, uh, you've got to read this as a little brother. He's saying, it's not my fault. I don't deserve to be here. They're all against me. You've got to get me out. Right? You want to say, can I get you a little wine to go with that cheese? Right? I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, right? he's throwing a fit. And just so you know, you can't throw a fit out of chapter 40. You can get frustrated. You can get fed up but you won't be able to throw a temper tantrum. It won't get you out of chapter 40. And many times for people, when their expectations and their realities collide, the easiest thing to do in that moment is to rationalize compromise. Joseph says, hey, it's not my fault I'm here. I didn't ask for this. Hey, these guys, what, what is it going to make any difference if I don't tell the whole truth? What if I just like massage the truth a little bit so they think good of me? Under the right circumstances, we're all capable of compromising. It doesn't matter how much you know about Scripture, how cool you are, how connected you are. Under the right circumstances, when the frustration is high enough, we're all capable of doing something we wouldn't ordinarily do. People say, man, the finances are tight and ordinarily I wouldn't pad my expense account, but I just don't have a choice. I mean, it's not really me, but it's the circumstances. And we have a way of talking ourselves into doing things we wouldn't ordinarily do. That's what compromise is, is it seems rational and it seems okay at the moment. There's a reason why the divorce rate is still high in our country. It's because people get frustrated with each other and they use the frustration in their home life as a reason to leave it and they use the frustration in one place of their life as a reason to open door to another frustration and one frustration creates an addiction and one frustration creates another distraction i'll just i'll just say you know one of my earliest memories of chapter 40 in my own life was school i told you last night i was terrible at taking tests i was you know you heard my math 
you know, all my math rant and all that kind of stuff. And I, but I was really bad, like I couldn't read. And I remember the frustration of sitting in class and not being able to read. I mean, I, I looked down the row of all my friends and man, they could read and like flip the page numbers and, you know, read out loud without stumbling over words. And I couldn't do it. I looked at a page, it didn't make any sense. And so I got labeled as a slow learner. My expectation was I should be able to do this. The reality was I couldn't do it. They labeled me as a slow learner. They took me out of the school, the school I was in and put me into a place called Crayola College, which is a school for flatliners, all right? And I was in a classroom full of people. All of us together didn't have an IQ above plant life, all right? So it was not good. And so in the process, they found out that the problem wasn't that I, that I was dumb, but I had a thing called dyslexia. How many of you guys know, know what dyslexia is? Anybody? It's when you read, you see letters and numbers backwards. So when I would look at a page, everything looked backwards. It was, it was, I couldn't read correctly. I couldn't write correctly. This is why I wasn't a wild teenager. I couldn't even shoplift right. Because I'd go home and get something and bring it back to the store. And I was like... I did it wrong. It made it difficult to eat. If I went to McDonald's and ordered a Happy Meal, I ate the toy and saved the food. And all right, and so I, everything was constantly backwards in my life. It was just backwards. And of course I felt insecure. And you know what I thought to myself? Well, I can't do it. Maybe I should just pray that prayer that most students are tempted to pray in school, right? God give me good eyesight and let me sit by somebody smart. Right, I mean, I right. I I, I thought, well, maybe I I, I I already struggle. What would it hurt if I cheated my way through it? Right, the frustration was acute enough that I could rationalize it. You see it, and and on top of that, my parents had gotten divorced early on, and uh, and so I was I was living without my dad. He had kind of dropped off the radar screen of our life, and I felt like the older I was getting, the harder life was becoming. You know. And all that frustration was mounting up. And I'll tell you what happened in the middle of all that. Somebody invited me to church. I was a churchgoer. I was a church guy. My mom loves Jesus. She's watching tonight from Oklahoma City uh, on, on, the, on the internet, right? She's, and she's there, and she's supported me and helped me get where I am in ministry. So we went to church a lot. But somebody at my school invited me to go to church. I went to a Sunday morning service. They had a special guest speaker. They had a guy get up and do, you know, yo-yo tricks, which I have no idea how yo-yos and Jesus connect. Don't even ask. And I'm not even sure what I was thinking when I was watching. I'm like, he can walk the dog. Jesus must be real. And I don't even know how that matches. It doesn't even make any sense, does it? And, uh, but this guy got to the end of his yo-yo show and said, you know what it means to be a Christian? He said, it means there's been a time where Jesus himself has stepped out of heaven and stepped into your heart. And I'd never heard it put that way before. And there I was in a broken home, struggling with dyslexia, taken out of my school away from my friends and put in some other weird school, told I would never graduate, never be able to do anything. And on the back row that morning was when I asked Jesus to step out of heaven and to step into my I realized that he, Jesus is a life that he's real and that all the gaps in my life were supposed to connect with the life of Jesus and they were supposed to fill in each other. And my point is this. It was in chapter 40 that I found Jesus. Chapter 40 is not all bad. But when your expectations, your realities collide and that door of compromise swings open, let me give you two good reasons not to step through it. A, it prolongs the process. 
What history tells us about Joseph's little journey was that this moment cost him an extra year in chapter 40. Anytime you compromise in the middle of a God-given chapter 40, it always prolongs the process. Compromise never speeds it up. It may look like a shortcut, but in reality, it's going to take you a longer route and cost you more to get out of it. And anytime we step through the door of compromise, it will always prolong the process it will drag it out we cannot cheat our way into wholeness we cannot cheat our way into healing so i can't i can't believe it's going to be a week until folks get to listen to part two however if you go on youtube that's right and uh, you click on the sunday evening message of labor day weekend you will get to hear the whole message (laughs) But you don't want to miss it. We appreciate you joining us on the Bob and Bill podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next week on Friday at 2.30 on Facebook Live. Worship. No, no, wait. Worship Live is at 1.30. That's correct. Every day, Monday through Friday. You can go on our website and get a list of all the podcasts that we're doing. And we've got some new ones coming up the end of the month. So please stay tuned with us. God bless.